just in line with what, what's been said. And I really feel just in my heart, God has been just leading me to just trust in Him for what I want to share this morning. And it's, you know, I want to share on something of the character of God that um, distinguishes from other characteristics of who God is. And uh, I want us to be more intently in what we meditate on this morning, more intentional, I should say, in what we meditate this morning about God. And uh, I want to talk about a characteristic of who God is that He shares of Himself. But um, even though it's something that is exclusively His and who He is that we cannot obtain, and yet we can. And I know it sounds like a contradiction because as I've been meditating on the Scripture, uh, God has just been like highlighting, revealing stuff of Himself to me in in that. And so there's something that I want to focus on of who God is in His character, but yet He's calling us to it. And He's inviting us into it. And by inviting, I mean He's calling us to participate. He's calling us to, uh, to live out what this really means, this, this, this new nature that we have in Christ Jesus. And He's calling us to practice it. And, uh, and so I want to focus this morning because really it's something that distinguishes, I believe, a mark of a true believer versus someone who claims to be born again. And, uh, and that is this, the call to holiness. The call to holiness. And I want us to quickly go to Isaiah, uh, to Isaiah 6.3. And uh, it says here, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, I've read that scripture many times. And it's, it's a character of who God is that is His alone. That he is holy, holy, holy. I just want you to just stop there. I'm not going to just rush. He is holy, holy, holy. Now, it's something, as you look at Scripture, God is saying something about himself. Uh, he's, he's, he's kind of elega- elevating something of his character to a third degree. Okay, he, he, He's making a a proclamation to us. And he's saying it three times in succession. I'm holy, holy, holy. It's not just I'm holy, holy, or I'm holy. It's I'm holy, holy, holy. Okay, now, the reason I wanted you to grasp this, because I've been, I've been meditating, and you know, many times God will state something about himself, like his mercy, his grace, his justice. But he doesn't say, I'm just, just, just. Or he doesn't say, I'm mercy, mercy, mercy. Or I'm love, love, love. But here, he's saying, I'm holy, holy, holy. And you know, when God says something, and he says it consecutively three times, he's wanting us to make a a note. (laughs) Okay? He's he's kind of making an an emphatic statement. He's emphasizing something to us. And uh, He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of revealing to us there's something of his character here that's unequivocal to any other part of his character, and that's his holiness. I mean, when God spoke the universe into existence, he just spoke it once. <laughs> he said, let there be, let there be. 
But here he's saying, I'm holy, holy. He's stating something three times. And he's saying, make a note. Yeah. And I've never actually looked at that. I've never actually considered this of, of something that God is trying to emphasize to me. And, and when God's trying to emphasize something, I think we should take note. <laughs> okay, so I just want to put it out there because it's very important for us as a church. And um, as we begin to understand this, that God is holy, holy, holy. He's not saying I'm holy once, plus, plus, holy again, plus. I'm, no, I'm, I'm holy upon holy upon holy. Okay, which is, it becomes to a point where I can't actually grasp what God is actually saying. Because it becomes unfathomable of what he's saying. It's, it's incomprehensible. Okay, it's, it's inconceivable of what God is saying. So, when, when you hear something like this, you think, okay, God is holy. And, and you kind of want to just kind of leave it there. <laughs> Because, you know, it's going to take a lifetime to ponder on that truth, that he's holy, holy, holy. It's going to take forever. I don't have a million years in my lifespan to actually grasp this. I've only got 80 years or so. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have that. And so there's something in us that just wants to kind of put it on the shelf there. Okay, God, you're holy. Amazing. You know, you're beautiful. That's great. It's kind of like you, you kind of put it out there as one of those ornaments, you know, just to gaze upon the Lord one day. You know, I know you older people, I know my folks are like this. They kind of had, I remember my house always used to be cluttered with ornaments, ornaments that my folks would have. I don't know if the, the older people tend to do that. They just have ornaments, ornaments, ornaments. The new guys don't, I mean, just go to, Bar Barbara's not old, but she's got a lot. <laughs> but, but, but why? Because they sit on the couch and they go, oh, that's such a beautiful thing. I mean, it's, let me put up, Bob, say, uh, it's, it's, got, it's got meaning behind some of the stuff, so I'll, I'll grant you that. But there, it's, it's its beauty. But, but, you know, something of God's holiness is not something he's calling us to just meditate on the, from gazing at it in the couch in our quiet times, with, uh, with, along with these other characteristics like his beauty, like his love, like his mercy. This is something, I mean, we kind of want to do that. And it's not bad to meditate on that stuff, so I'm not criticizing it, but, but it's not just to be put on a shelf and left. When God states something very important that He's holy, 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 it's going to do something to you. It's going to affect you. And uh, that's what I want to stipulate this morning, because I feel to some degree we, we know this. We, we kind of look at that. We kind of put it on the shelf, and it's kind of, okay, God, you're holy, and the, the holiness balls in God's court kind of thing, you know. And it's you know, but as I was reading scripture, Peter begins to requote this, and we're gonna and Peter actually goes back to this. And Peter doesn't leave us off the proverbial hook, if I can put it like that, about God's holiness. He doesn't say, Okay, well, God's holy. He actually brings us to a reality of this. And I want to go to one Peter one thirteen. You got that scripture. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I almost feel like that that's what God's been saying kind of this morning. I mean, I'm just hearing Dan's prayer, I'm hearing the guy saying, we need to activate it. We need to be front-footed, as Chad was sharing. And so this is what he's saying. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. So Peter's saying, wake up. Sober up. I'm going to tell you something now, some truth. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, now he's saying, so you set yourself on the grace of God. This is not just the grace that I'm forgiven, that's great. Set yourself, wake up, because there's a grace that God has given you, but it doesn't stop there. And then he says this, 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of the former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see what Peter's saying here? He's bringing us to a place where he's saying, you can say you're holy, but, you know, you can say I can meditate on the holiness of God. Peter's saying, you're not off the hook. You're part of it. God is holy. Behold that truth. Behold that he is holy upon holy upon holy. But now he's saying, but now you be holy. And I think a lot of people look at, and I want to say this because I I, I love the way he brings it. He says, um, for obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. Okay, the former things, the things that you were once. And when I say that's my former self, that means it's no longer actually who I am now, right? It's like saying, you know, if someone dies, you say, that's the late John. I'm sorry, not John, but that's the late Penny Fanas. When If I die, that's how you're going to. And in a sense, he's saying that. That was you. That's the former you. Now, if something's former, it means it's not right now. Am I right? And that's what he's saying. Those were the former things. So now that you're born again, it's no longer in you. It's no longer something you're practicing. Okay, that's what he's saying. It's a former thing. And he says, it's a former lust, but in your ignorance. Now, I want to ask you, when we come born again, we don't just come and bring the altar call, and it's just, ah, you know, God, sorry, that's it. It's like, those things, it's the former things, yes, I forgot, but it's, I was ignorant at the time before I met Jesus. You see, when I met Jesus, the lights came on. I realized the way I was living was for me. I realized everything I did was to please me. It was all about me, my lusts, my flesh, my desires. Everything I did was for me. And now God's like, show me, but it's not about you. It's about me. And so when you come into the light, as I reveal myself to you, you start to change. You start realizing, actually, my life is no longer mine, but I want to serve him because he is my delight. He is my desire. He's my hope. He's, he's the one who's created me, and I just want to please him. See, and he's bringing it back into our understanding. He says, but, but you know, it was a former self, but, and you were ignorant at the time, but now you're not ignorant, okay? You're not ignorant because that's what repentance brings us to is that we're no longer ignorant. You know, repentance was I was ignorant. I was doing it this way. I've got a revelation. This is who God is, and I've got to respond. I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change the way I do things because God has revealed himself to me. And so I'm responding to him. Cool. You guys with me? So no longer can we say we're ignorant. We're no longer blinded. Okay? The, 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 the blinds have been lifted, right? And, uh, and so there's awareness of God's righteousness, awareness of what pleases him. And then he says this, okay, let me just find it. But he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You see, so God's calling us in our conduct to be holy. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. Now, the, the problem is, maybe I should quickly go just in that. You see, God brings us to a place of obedience. You know, sometimes people think, well, because I'm born again, I just kind of leave it there. I just, I've, I've given my heart to Jesus, 
But my life, you know, I can still do what I want because God's grace is there. And it is. But what Peter's saying, he's calling us to what? Obedience. So can you still be in that place of obedience and still not do what God's called you to do? You can't. You, you, Peter's calling us to obedience because God is holy. Be holy. Be holy. Be holy means be holy. <laughs> you know, I don't know how, to, how, how you can stipulate this anymore. But he's saying, look, it's not because some people think holiness is almost like God's righteousness. You get an imputed righteousness. The moment we confess Jesus with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we're born again. And there's something of God's righteousness put in us. But now this is something more. Peter's not just saying this is just something you get given. It's something you are, yes, but because it's who you are, it's what you do. Because he wouldn't have to say, be holy. He would just say, just remember you're holy. No, you, you're not just holy. He says, be holy. Do you get it? And then he says, well, now be obedient because you're holy. You're an instrument of holiness. And I want to say this. The holiness concept is not, Something Peter's brought up. This is not, doesn't come just from Peter. Peter's declaring something even of the Old Testament. And you can read that in Leviticus 11.45, where God says the same thing. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt uh, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So this is not a new concept. So Peter understood, even in the Old Covenant, think of it. In the Old Covenant, God called the people to himself, Israel. Right? And he consecrated them. He, he set them apart from the rest of the world. He says, you're going to be a nation that I'm going to call my own. You're my people. And part of you being my people, I'm going to separate you. That's what holiness is. Uh, sanctification is. It's a separation from the rest. And God's saying, as a people, I'm going to separate you. I'm going to give you laws. I'm going to give you things that, that point to me. And you're going to be mine, and I'm going to be yours, but you're going to be what I've called you to be, set, set apart. And so that was in the old covenant. But now in the new covenant, Peter's saying the same thing. He says, God's made a covenant with us. And he's calling us, as we be born again, he's saying, I want you to be mine. I'm going to consecrate you from the world. I'm going to set you apart. And so this is what it means. And so this is what Peter's saying under the new covenant. And so 1 Peter 2.8 says this, or 2.9, I think I gave that one to you. But you are a chosen race, okay? Chosen. God chose you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, listen to this, once you were not a people, <laughs> he's, he's, he's stating something, he's reminding you, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I love this scripture because as I was pondering on this scripture, I love the way he says that. You can keep it there, um, Benji. He says, um, he says, God set you apart, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. You know, sometimes we think proclaiming the excellencies of God is standing up on Sunday and saying, Jesus, we love you. And, and that is part of what we do. But what he's saying is part of your proclamation to Jesus, part of your proclamation to the Lord 
is that He's consecrated you, is that He set you apart. And, and when people look at you, they see that you moved out of darkness into a marvelous light. And so that is the proclamation. It's actually your life. Do you, you get what, what he's saying here? Your proclamation is the fact that when people look at you, think, but, but that's how Demi was, but this is how she is now. And there's a complete distinction between what she was and what she is. And in that, Demi is proclaiming that God is good. She's proclaiming that God is righteous. She's proclaiming that she has been consecrated for the Lord. Do you get it? So we think proclamation is, Jesus, we love you. That's great. But tomorrow you live a different life. That's not a proclamation. That's quite, quite heavy as you begin to realize this. Because sometimes we think words is all it takes. <laughs> but we consecrate it. We are chosen people. And I think, and this is what I want to state. I think sometimes, you know, when we live a compromised life day to day, and we carry on doing the same thing, and we think, oh, it's all right, you know, God. It's what I'm doing in the flesh. It's okay. Because we can. We can think like that. God's okay. His, His grace is sufficient. And carry on. I can do, 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 do. But you're actually not consecrated. Think of it. Are you consecrated? I'm going to state something that sounds quite heavy. I don't want to put a heaviness, but I, I want us to almost like get a revelation. Because that scripture that Peter has just said, you are a chosen generation. I think this is the problem. We think we choose God. Peter's saying, you are chosen. That changes things. Because if I know I'm choosing God, I can say, God, come, I'm accepting you. I'm okay now. And then the world king's kind of advertising to me again. I say, put Jesus aside. And then later on, I'm feeling down, and I, feel, I really need Jesus. I need the life. Come, Jesus. And so I'm, do, I'm the one doing the choosing. Think of it. And I think, as I've been reading Scripture, it's not true. You don't choose. God chooses you. So the question I want to know is, if you're not consecrated, has God chosen you? It changes our perspective, hey, doesn't it? And you might be thinking, Benny, that's harsh. But let me, let me read another scripture because I think as you begin to read things, you begin to understand. So John 15, this is Jesus talking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And then listen to this. And that your fruits should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That word abide, it says some of your versions say that your fruit may remain. Okay. So your fruit isn't just coming out Sunday, Jesus, I love you. Tomorrow you're doing your thing because that's not remaining fruit. So it's not just the fact that you have fruit. And fruit isn't just coming out. Fruit is the people you witness to. The fruit is your life. The fruit is your marriage. The fruit is your children. The fruit is your lifestyle. Your workplace, that is the fruit. And it's fruit that remains. So you're not one thing tomorrow and another thing the next day. It's remaining fruit. And when your fruit remains, then you know, I've been chosen. <laughs> it, it like changes that God has chosen me to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But if, if I'm living in that, am I, am I chosen? I, I, I want to leave a question mark with you because I think sometimes we have a false perception that we, we're in God because I come to church on a Sunday. Let's change that. Paul says, you need to check yourself whether you are of the faith. Oh, okay. So let's see how quickly how God consecrates the early church. And I think it's always, go, always good to go back to the beginning, how hey, it starts. Yeah? Let's start in the very, good, very beginning. It's a very good place to start. 
I'm sure Julie Andrews would be proud of me. <laughs> so we look at the church in Acts, okay? Let's quickly go there. Acts 5, verses 12 to 16. Now, this is the church. This is where the church began. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, none of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more, sorry, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they uh, even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on, on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, and at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they all were healed. Is that so sad? So the point I'm going to make here is, is verse 13 specifically. You see, none of the rest dare join them. Now, would you agree with me? This sounds like a, a consecrated church set apart. But it's not because the world didn't recognize them, as you've been reading it. It says they were held with high esteem. So it wasn't the people saying, oh, that's the church. Look how, look how the leaders are. They're not very good people. You know, No, no, no. These guys held them high esteem. But yet there was a clear distinction between the world and believers. Okay, I'm making a note here because there's something I want us to grasp here. It's important. So I don't want to be a I don't want us, if I, if I look at that, I, I think maybe it's not too good to just have people easily come into the life of the church because they didn't there. People, people held them with high esteem, which means they were regarded. They saw the miracles, the signs. In fact, I believe there was a hype going on there. People were looking at, man, God is working. I mean, if that kind of church was performing here in George, I'd probably ditch you guys and go and join them. Seriously, I mean, I love Josh Jen, but God's there. He's not here in, in that sense. I mean, there's more movement happening there. You know what I'm saying? You kind of think like that. <laughs> Sorry. I love the church. I would never leave this church. But I'm, I'm, I'm making a point here. There was a buzz there. There was life. There was, God was happening. Imagine my shadow walking past Chad like that. and oh, He's healed or whatever. I mean, that's amazing. Come on. You want to see that? So these guys knew God was real. He was working there. He was evident. But yet no one dared join them. Why? Because they had a long orientation. You know, did they have 50 CDs to get through, unlike Josh Jen? <laughs> yeah, what, was the, what was the separating, what was the dividing factor? You know, because no one dared join them. I mean, I'd want to be part of this group, wouldn't you? Even from an outside perspective, I'm, I'm regarding them higher with high esteem, well, we're going to get there. <laughs> Don't steal my notes. <laughs> so, yes. But Acts 2, 46, it says the same thing, 2, 47. And day by day, attention, oh, sorry, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, this is what we believe we call to do, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor, again, favor with all the people. And the Lord, listen again, the Lord added. Who added? Did the people add themselves? The Lord added. The God chose. Okay, where am I? The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Okay, so God's doing the choosing here. But yet, 
You know, I was looking at Scripture, no one dared join them. It's actually, I look at the Greek word of that, no one dared, the word dared. It says no one had the venture within them, the extreme boldness to actually join these guys. Hmm, that's interesting. And so let me quickly go there. We've got time. So we go to Ananias and Sapphira. We, we know the story. But let me quickly read it because I think it's just going to help us. Acts 5 verse 1 to 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with, this, his, wife, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it to the apostles at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have uh, sorry, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard, it, heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an inter, uh, sorry, after what uh, interval of about three hours, um, his wife came in. Uh, three hours. I mean, the wife comes three hours later into church. It kind of things haven't changed from there to here. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want to lose my track here. But three hours later, his wife comes, not knowing what had happened. I mean, how long does it take to do your hair? And Peter said to her, <laughs> okay, guys, come, come, stop being distracted. I'm trying to read you. <laughs> Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. It's a pretty harsh story. Pretty harsh. Oh, sorry, did I miss one? And great fear. There we go. That's the, point. That's the main point of the scripture. And great fear came upon all the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's not just the church. I mean, imagine this. I mean, I'd be thinking, have I paid my tithes this month? Let me just double check, you know, those kind of things. I'd be making sure of, of certain things if, if I saw God working in, in that kind of situation. But you, you can understand, I mean, just picture this. You, you're, you're standing from the outside. You, let's say you haven't joined the church, but you're standing on from the outside. Now, Brian and Connick, just come here. Now, let's pretend you've got Ananias wrapped up in the carpet. So you stand at the back, you stand at the front, and you're carrying. Now, I'm, I'm an outside, and I come walking. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. Who's this? Ananias, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, impromptu acting, sorry. I didn't, I didn't prepare them. And they say, Ananias. I'm like, but what happened to him? Oh, he lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the, he's the God we serve, you know. We, we serve them. 
Now, from an outsider, what would you be thinking? You know, and, and then Bryden said, you know what, we, 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 we're meeting at 9 o'clock at Solomon's Colonnade, free cappuccinos. It's just not going to help me, is it? I'm still going to think, I'm, I'm not going to join these guys that easy. I don't care how many cappuccinos there are for me. <laughs> okay, you can sit down. But think of that. But then, a bit, maybe three hours later, his wife comes walking with the same thing. Flip. Guys are dying in that church. <laughs> don't go to that church. <laughs> Seriously. What, what was happening at that moment? Let me tell you, a consecration was happening. You didn't dare join them. God is holy. I think we've lost something. You know, as we look at the scripture, it says many signs and wonders were following the apostles' teachings. I sometimes think that we don't see what we see. I've seen, we've seen treacles of it. We've seen treacles of miracles. We see God heals back. So he does things. And you know, I know God's in it, but you know, I sometimes wonder if the reason we're not seeing it to the effect of that is because the church is no longer consecrated. Because we are no longer consecrated. God's consecrating it. And His consecration is in what He's saying to us. Be holy. I've set you apart. I've called you by name. And you know, when, when God says, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, he's saying, be like me, because I've made you holy. And out of your holiness, you're going to, serve a, you're going to give a life that's willing to just serve me and me alone. You're not, going to, you're not going to mix with the world. You're not going to do what the world does. Because in that is what sets you apart. It's what makes you stand out. People are going to see that you're different. And uh, as, as harsh as this may be, I think we grasp something of, of just God's holiness. But, but I want to say this. God is also gracious. I'm not trying to scare us from God. You know, what I'm saying is if we have the right fear of God, it's actually going to draw us to Him. Because you begin to behold Him. You say, God, man, I... I I see you as this righteous judge who's going to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to declare what is right and what isn't, what's innocent and what's guilty. And I stand before a righteous God with awe and reverence. But then there's another side to him where he says, but I've called you. And there's something that he doesn't necessarily just reveal himself as a judge, but he reveals himself as a father. And he says, I love you. Come, my grace is sufficient. And so for those who respond, they see the grace. They see both the awe and wonder and the fear of who God is. But yet, they don't lose sight that he's father and he loves them. And he's adopted them. And he says, you're my son with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. It's like, come, I've adopted you. I've made you my own. And so there's that balance. Huh? There's that, I can just, you know, that we can walk into his throne room with boldness, as Scripture says. And I, I want to just close in, in reading this scripture. But in closing, I want to say this. Maybe some of you sitting here that you think you've given your life to Jesus. But actually, what I'm sharing now is you haven't had a life that's consecrated to him. 
Can I, can I leave just an openness in your heart if that's you? If you know that you haven't lived a life, you've, you've, you feel that you've chosen Jesus, but maybe actually Jesus hasn't chosen you, but maybe today is the day that he's called you and you're to respond to him today. God will give us all an opportunity. We'll never say on that day, but God, you know, I didn't know. None of us are going to be able to plead ignorance before him. So if that's you, you know that you're not chosen because you know that you haven't been consecrated. But today is the day to set yourself apart. Today is the day to come to him and repent. And so I want to create that opportunity. Maybe that's you. You know. You know that it's not you. You know that you've lived your own life. You know that it's, it hasn't been Christ living in you. You know that you haven't died to self because you're still doing the things that everybody else in the world is doing. And then there's maybe some of us who are sitting here, and I'm not going to deny the fact that you haven't been saved, but you've started to become contaminated with the things of the world. The advertising of the world has attracted you. It's pulled you in. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of those things have drawn you back into the world. And God's calling us to, to come to that place where we repent. And this is the scripture. I just want to read this, and just as we meditate on this, is. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's wickedness. What portion does a believer share with unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? You're the temple of God. For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, and I love that. Okay. It says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separated from them. See that word separated, sanctified, set apart, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. See, God doesn't lose something of his fathership to us. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Sure. We are God's temple. I want to ask you, is, God's, is God walking among us, as it says here? I will walk among you. Man, imagine that. God walking among us. No wonder there's life. No wonder there's healing. No wonder things were happening in the beginning. So, I don't know. Let's close our eyes because maybe I want to I never forget that there might be people here that have never come to that place of committing their lives to Jesus. 